BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at discounttire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Welcome to Copfather. I'm Craig Rommel, and joining me today is a good friend of mine, Peter Brody from the law firm Brody Thorning LLP. Peter, very popular out there with police officers, represents a lot of police officers everywhere, pretty much all rank. He's joining us today just to talk about behind the scenes of what it goes on to uh, defending police officers. How are you? I'm good, Craig. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm always great to spend some time with you. Thanks, buddy. So, in this day and age, obviously, you know, I've had other law enforcement experts on, and I think there's always been a feeling, and I usually go back 30 years in comparison, of police officers that have to be defended for performing their duties in different levels of courts. But it, there, there's a feeling now of guilty till proven innocent with a police officer going in, mainly because of the media coverage and the special interest groups. And you've been doing this for a long time. And today's atmosphere, is it changing when you approach defending a police officer compared to 15 or 20 years ago? Oh, yeah, it's changed. Uh, it's changed a lot. I mean, there's now, you know, there's a very strong anti-law enforcement culture out there. I mean, I think it's a lot stronger in the U.S. than it is here in Canada, but it definitely still exists. And it's become much more prolific than it, than it ever was. If we went back 20 years ago and we were defending a police officer and we had an option of doing a trial by jury, for example, we'd pick a jury every time because 20 years ago, people were very pro-law enforcement and that was a bit of an advantage for us. Now, I try and avoid juries as much as I can just because the attitude has changed. And, and now you get more people who are anti-police on the, some of these juries than um, you do pro-police. And so now you see a lot more trials where officers are electing to go with a judge alone trial instead of a jury trial, which is completely different than it was 20 years ago. Yeah, good point. How are you finding today... Obviously, in Canada, we follow the lead, good and bad, with law enforcement in the States. It seems like we just get behind it. Sometimes issues start here that are going to be controversial when it comes to law enforcement in Canada. But are you finding because of what's happening down there, it is feeding up? Yeah, I, I, I think that there, you know, unfortunately, there's people out there in Canadian society that want to be counterculture, cancel culture, whatever they the phrase they're using these days. And there are people that for their own reasons want to be anti-law enforcement. And what they do is they latch on to things that are happening in the U.S. And they try and import that here uh, to Canada when really we don't have all the same problems or at least not to the same degree that they have them in the U.S. And so you, you get situations like the George Floyd case and that happens and no doubt that's a terrible thing and we can you know we can talk about that later but you get people trying to equate 
things that are much more minor could be problematic, but much more minor and say, ah, this is just like the George Floyd case when really it's not. Well, how are you finding the mentality of officers that, like, you know, I, I always give the example, and this has been forever, Police College 101 doesn't prepare you for being accused of something, doing your job, and then being on the front page news. You got to explain it to your family, your neighbors. They just don't prepare police officers for that now. So that level of the, the mental health side of this is through the roof because they're going to get attacked. And vast majority of the time, the officers will be cleared in the long run. Yeah, I mean, you know, I say it half jokingly, but it's a great time to be a, a police lawyer, but it's not a great time to be a police officer. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, and when I say it's a great time, I don't mean it's a great time like it's a fun time, but it's a lucrative time because there's just so much work out there. You've got all these different agencies. And I know you've talked about that on on some of your other podcasts. You've got all these agencies that quite frankly, I think it's crazy how much oversight there is. And I'm not anti-oversight. I mean, mm-hmm. I think oversight is incredibly important for regulating the profession. But, we, you know, we've got agencies like left, right and center who are, you know, Monday morning quarterbacking decisions that are made out on the street. And then, you know, you've got these sort of anti-police interest groups and human rights tribunals and civil suits and the SIU and the OIPRD and internal affairs and all, all of these things. And, and you know, as officers, I think that they start to feel targeted. I think they start to feel like there's a target on their back now. And anytime they sneeze in the wrong direction, that there's going to be a complaint or there's going to be an investigation. And if you look at these investigations, for example, the SIU investigations, I mean, those investigations, even on a straightforward matter when the officer should be cleared easily, those are those are taking 12, 14, 16, 18 months to clear. And it's hanging over the officer's head. And so you're right. I mean, it really affects the mental health of these people who are putting their lives on the line, yet don't feel that they have the support and in fact feel are starting to feel targeted. Big problem, and we I've talked about it on the podcast where there was an incident here in Toronto last summer where a subject person was suffering mental health. Family called, there was a situation, and it was a female subject, and she ended up falling off a balcony high up and dying. And right off the bat, there was accusations that the police had actually thrown her, and it was a murder. But the SIU, as we have learned later, would have known right off the bat that wasn't true because there were videos there were other witnesses that were there that were not police officers that said, no, she was by herself. But they would have known that within days, but it took months for them to come back. And in the meantime, there's demonstrations on the streets. Well, it, it's funny you mentioned that because I ended up getting involved in that matter. I wasn't representing the subject officers or the witness officers, but when the allegation came out that she had been thrown off the balcony, which I found incredibly irresponsible. But in any event, when that allegation was made, and we very well knew that that's not what took place. I mean, we knew that what had taken place was that the woman with the mental health issues had barricaded herself out on the balcony. Um, There wasn't an officer within 20 feet of her. They were there doing what they were taught to do, which is they were starting to make a plan. They were talking about rapport building, all the things that they get taught about de-escalating. They were talking about nobody rush out on the balcony. Don't do anything rash. Let's just bring the temperature down. And all of a sudden she, she jumps off the balcony. Now, 
Was she trying to jump from one balcony to the next? Mm -hmm. we, we, we just simply, we don't know. But at the end of the day, this becomes this allegation about being thrown off the balcony. And of course, it understandably whipped everybody into a frenzy and they were talking about protests and things of that nature. And on behalf of the Toronto Police Association, I called the director of the SIU and I said, look, like, it's pretty clear from what I know about this case that she wasn't thrown off the balcony, that she jumped. You must know that by now. Can, can you not at least do a press release and indicate that, listen, unfortunately, this woman ended up going off the balcony, but our preliminary investigation shows that there was no police officer on the balcony at the time she fell, period. Leave it like that. Get the information out there and then write your report. And what I was explaining to the SIU is there's going to be a protest this weekend. And if it goes sideways and civilians are hurt and police officers are hurt that are trying to deal with the demonstration, that's not an acceptable outcome knowing that there's this misinformation out there that you're, you're not prepared to clear up. Unfortunately, the SIU position was, well, you know what, Peter, the thing is, is if we take that unique step on this case, we deal with a lot of deaths and then everybody's going to be asking us to make these preliminary findings and we're just not prepared to go there. Decision makers all make decisions every day that are rare, that are a one-off. This happens all the time, especially in the courts. Or like the police investigating a homicide and they have to put a tip out there or something or clear something up. This happens all the time. I mean, that's not a good excuse because you do yeah. pick them as you go along. I, I didn't think it was a, a particularly good excuse. I didn't find it compelling. So at the end of the day, I made a decision and I went on the radio and and I said, this is our position yep. is that there was no officers out there. She went off the balcony with nobody present. And the officers were doing everything they were supposed to do. And I, I was hoping that that was going to come from the SIU or from the Toronto Police Service. But, you know, they have to follow certain rules. And so it came down to uh, myself and the Toronto Police Association getting on the radio and dealing with the misinformation. Yeah, you are not governed under that. You are the voice. And rightfully so, you guys did the uh, right move there. So let's go further. The officers get cleared by the SIU and it wasn't enough. And now there's another investigation on the go. And family wasn't happy. They weren't satisfied. And it's ongoing, as we say, especially after the body that investigates police officers that have the final say in the province of Ontario said, no, these officers did nothing wrong. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at discounttire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Yeah, and I, I saw the lawyer after he received the news that the officers were, were cleared saying, well, I still, I think he said something in the effect of, I think they should still be charged or this needs to be investigated further. Well, 
it was investigated, it was investigated by a body that sometimes, as somebody who represents police officers, I don't agree with all the decisions that they make in relation to police officers. But when the body makes the decision, I don't see where there's an avenue to say, well, I'm not happy with that decision. So therefore, we're going to reinvestigate it with a different body. That's not the appropriate body to do this. I mean, this is what the SIU does, right? They investigate cases where officers have been involved. And and I'll put involved in quotes because involved could mean they were simply at the scene. Yeah. Right. No, I, I mean, we've had cases where officers have been dispatched to a scene and as they pull up to an apartment building, somebody jumps off. They're not even, they're not even in the building at the time the person jumps off and the SIU invokes. So the SIU is a comprehensive uh, review of officer conduct. And I just don't understand this notion of, well, they can disagree with the decision. I understand that if that's what they want to do, they have the right to disagree with it. But to put the officers through another investigation to me is just not appropriate. There's a term that's being used now. It's called a Van Hauser, and its bottom line is with law enforcement is bad guys come from the front, and the police service, media, politicians come from the rear. How are you finding today the amount of politics involved when it comes to charging a police officer? Are you finding officers, you know, if it's a gray area, if it's a 60-40 that normally uh, we're not going to get a conviction, but let's lay the charges because it's going to help certain communities or the politics of the day? Are you finding that's coming into play? Perhaps a little bit. The difficulty with these these cases is that once the officer is investigated, a, a lot of times if it's the SIU, again, like I won't always agree that the officer has been charged, but, you know, I look at the case and I say, okay, the officer's charged. But look, this is a very winnable case. Mm-hmm. And, and so we'll go to trial the difference is, is if it was a civilian who was charged, a lot of times you may get a prosecutor who looks at it and says, this is weak. We're going to withdraw the case. We're not going to proceed. Whereas if it's a police officer, that case is going ahead. I mean, in 20 years, I probably had them withdraw maybe four charges against police officers because there's this belief on the part of some prosecutorial bodies that we need to have a public airing. of the facts. And so therefore, it might be a weak case. It might be a case where we're not going to proceed if it was a civilian, but we are going to go ahead because it is a police officer. And we want the public to get a transparent look at the evidence. But again, it's a bit unfair because you're now putting somebody through a trial who otherwise wouldn't go to trial just because they're a police officer. Yeah. And I go back to the starting in police college, wherever that is, and not being prepared for this could happen to you, you know, performing your duties and you're all, you're being splashed all over the front page of the news and the six o'clock news. And then drives me crazy. And I, and I get it probably once a month where somebody from the media calls me up and says, Oh, you're, you've got this trial coming up. I know that your client has been suspended with pay for the last five years. And, you know, I, Say so, yeah, he he has been. But why are you asking me? What why is why is this on me and the officer? Because we've been waiting for our trial for five years. Mm-hmm. I'm not the I'm not the one who is dictating the pace of this. That's mm-hmm. the prosecution. That's the criminal courts backlog. It is the backlog at the police tribunal. It is people not getting disclosure to the defense. 
And so I often say to the media, look, my, my client's prepared to go back to work tomorrow. Tell, tell me where to report. And if you look at a case like James Fursillo, which is a case uh, where I defended that police officer, we got about two years in and keeping in mind, he was charged with second degree murder and they brought him back to work. They put him in an office. He went in the Crime Stoppers office and was doing uh, the Crime Stopper, taking the calls and things like that. If you can find a space for James Fursillo, who's on a second degree murder charge, surely you can find a spot for a different officer who's just charged with an assault. Right. Yeah. And there's no uniformity on that. No, and just don't give me this whole, your guy has been paid for the last five years and didn't go to work. These people want to go to work. They want to go to work. They want to have their trial. They want to be cleared. And it's, it's, it doesn't fall at their feet that they're suspended with pay for five years. Those fingers need to be pointed in other directions. Let's uh, talk about the situation in Minneapolis. There is going to be a decision soon. It's going to go to the jury any day now. And people ask me if it's going to impact up here in Canada moving forward on you know the amount of officers that could be charged. But I explain this is a one-off. What I saw there was wrong, and it it was something that just so rare in law enforcement to see that, whether it's down south or up here. But this should I'm, I'm hoping that moving forward, if whatever the decision is, especially on a conviction, it doesn't impact up here because this is definitely a one-off what happened down there. Yeah, I mean, I, I looked at it, and I'm having done this for a few decades now, I'm somebody who always sort of reserves judgment on situations because, you know, I haven't spoken to the police officer and I haven't seen all the evidence and all those kinds of things. But I got to say, with regard to that particular case, I, I mean, it, it seems to me to be indefensible mm-hmm. and it is a sort of one off. And there will be people that try and drag that into evaluating Canadian law enforcement, but they most certainly shouldn't, right? Because, and I don't think that they should evaluate U.S. law enforcement either because of one officer who did something that was just so, you know, incredibly wrong that it's it's difficult to fathom how that was allowed to continue. So, I mean, to bring it over here, I just think is completely misguided. And then, you know, unfortunately, in Minneapolis, you've got another scenario now, yeah. which is you've seen, which is the, I think she was a pretty senior police officer. Actually. 26 years. Yeah. 26 years. And, you know, I look at that case and, you know, I saw the video and I heard what she said and, and it, it seems clear to me that she oh, mistakenly, yeah. Yeah. mistakenly used her firearm in, instead of her taser. I mean, to me, it's clear from the video. I mean, she's she's yelling, I'm going to tase you, I'm going to tase you. And then she says, taser, 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 which is the code for all her colleagues to get out of the way because she's going to deploy it. And then she fires the firearm and the car drives away. And you can just tell from her voice the shock. Yeah. And she says, I shot him. Yeah, you can't think that quick if you're planning, yeah. if you're going, if you're, if this is a ruse, nobody can think that quick. No. And so it's, it's clear she made a mistake. Now it, it's a, it's a big mistake. Let's, you know, it's a big mistake, but it is a mistake. And there's no doubt that there's going to be a consequence that comes with that. But, you know, let's not pretend that this was a ruse yeah. and that, you know, somehow she knew she was shooting the guy and, and she was just yelling taser, taser for, you know, for some inexplicable reason to cover her tracks. 
especially when it's all recorded on the body cam. Yeah. Yeah. There's no hiding here. So I, I, I trust me, I'm not saying that that, that officer, uh, because she made a mistake, now it's forgivable and there's no consequence that comes with it. There's got to be a consequence. But this isn't a, a, a deliberate shooting of a firearm. Would you, if it, if it was here, would it be a manslaughter here? Is that what? I, I think it would be a criminal negligence causing death. Okay. Yeah. Um, arguably that, arguably that's, that's what it is. Now it doesn't mean there's not a potential defense to it, but if it's going to fit in a box, that's the box it fits in criminal negligence causing death. So a big part of that one's going to come down to training, no matter what the charges are. And I've talked to many police chiefs on both sides of the border and union personnel. And one thing here that we're way ahead is the training of our officers, you know, small town America, they don't get much training and they're, I think they're finding this is what the, could be the issue down there. They have to spend a lot more money down there on training. But our training is far superior here, especially in the province of Ontario. All aspects of putting a uniform on a police officer. Are you finding that's coming up as part of the prosecutor's approach? Is is training here? Yeah, for sure, because we've put much more emphasis on mental health training and on de-escalation in the last 10 years. I mean, I'd say... If, if we've spent more time and more expertise in two areas, that's what they are. It's mental health training and de-escalation training. And those two concepts sort of mesh together. But ultimately, it helps the members. It helps the communities that we're servicing. That being said, when it doesn't go perfect, you do see prosecutors trot it out and say, aha, you didn't follow the training to uh, the letter. And so it can be used as a sword, but... You know, that being said, it works a lot more often than when it hurts us. A lot of times officers are accused of cover-up because uh, by the law, the subject officer does not have to give a statement of any kind. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. On a comparison to a, a citizen being charged criminally compared to a police officer, and they both, we'll call it take the fifth. They just, they don't give a statement. Right. Do you find it's harder on a police officer doing that than representing a citizen that decides not to talk? Or is there no difference? Well, only from the point of view that, you know, the media in a very misguided way comes out and says the officer refused to cooperate with the SIU. And I hear refuse to cooperate. I'm thinking, what are they talking about? Well, what they're talking about is, is the officer exercised their constitutional right to remain silent. That, that is not. Same as, same as Joe Citizen. 
Yeah, that's not refusing to cooperate. That's exercising your right because you're you're being interviewed to see if you engaged in criminal conduct. So it, it's harder on an officer in the sense that you get painted by the media as you didn't cooperate with the SIU. But what people also fail to appreciate is once that criminal investigation is over, the police service can then compel the officer, bring him in for a police service act interview, and he doesn't have the right to silence, and he's got to be interviewed. So in that respect, um, Joe Citizen can tell his employer, I'm not necessarily going to continue to answer your questions because I was cleared criminally and I don't want to. Now, you could get fired from your job, you, you might not, but if you want to remain a police officer, you have to provide a statement. On the administration it's, side of it. On the administrative side of it, yeah. right? Look, officers have similar rights to citizens, but at the same time, they also have greater obligations to cooperate than Joe Citizen, and people forget that and confuse that. I had uh, Matt Scoff on the Ottawa Police Association president last week, and he made a very good point. I never really even thought of it this way. Of all the professions out there, a chief of police has, it's, it's a full dictatorship. It's more than a CEO of a company or a president of a company. The police chief of a police service has ultimate power, can do what he or she wants with a small oversight of maybe five or seven people on a police service board. So the way he explained it, because he's going through a bit of an issue there in Ottawa, that the chief can do pretty much whatever they want when it comes to investigating or giving out uh, or trying to give out punishment to a police officer. Yeah. And, you know, if you look at a police service like the Toronto Police Service, and, you know, I'm just going to make up the number because I don't know how many rules and regs and procedures are up to, but let's call it 1,300. Yeah. Okay. You don't need 1,300 rules, regulations, and procedures. But the reason that they have 1,300 is because they use it as a tool against the frontline members. Yep. Because there's so many rules and regulations that no human being can ever abide by all of them. And what happens is if you fall into disfavor within your police service, then all they have to do is just sit there and, and look and say, okay, he must have disobeyed or he or she must have disobeyed one of these 1300 rules, regs, or procedures in the last week. Let's find something. And then they get them the first time and they say, okay, no, I think this guy's still a problem. Let's go back and find another one of these 1300 rules, regs, and procedures. And, and ultimately, it's a tool for management to deal with people. Sometimes people, you know, I don't want to go too far with this. Sometimes people who are bad actors agreed, but sometimes also people who they don't like. It's, and it, I was going to mention it, that it comes down to personalities a lot of times. Yeah. And it's a, it's a very fruitful avenue for abuse. It can be. Yeah, I uh, I talked about it in the book. I remember a situation where it just seemed like we were involved when I was with the TPA, and I'm going to take credit here. I was the one that hired Peter on. You know, I remember an incident we had with the RCMP investigating a bunch of police officers and how far they were going to go, and it was it just seemed like it was getting personal that the RCMP came in to to investigate some corruption with a drug unit. Pretty much nothing ever came of it years later, but it just seemed like. It was venomous on a personal note. It just seemed like people that were running that investigation wanted a copper's head as a trophy, whether it was to, to improve their own personal careers. The vast majority of them never were even charged. 
but it just seemed personal. And I always wanted to balance that out with, with guys like you representing officers. Well, you may or may not remember this part of it, but the, the person who, I'm not, I'm not going to name them, but no. the person who was in charge of that investigation, they got together a team of investigators to look at the drug squad. And one of the very first things he did is he brought everybody into a room, all the investigators, and uh, he played that movie Training Day. Yeah. And, you know, and that's with Denzel Washington, where he's out there doing large scale coke deals and murdering people. And that's how the investigation started, which was playing that movie for the investigators. Well, what are you doing playing that movie? You're suggesting that that's what we're investigating. Yeah. I, I thought the way that it worked was you went, you went out and wherever the evidence led you, that's, that's the direction you went. And if it, if it led you down the route of the officers or innocent, so be it. That's the direction you go. But I mean, that, that was a good example of what you're talking about, how it became personal. I mean, it, it, it became personal because they wanted to use the lens that they were dealing with like training day, like conduct when clearly they weren't. Also, I think at the time, and I don't think it happened, but there were, there might've been promises of promotion. You know, if you get charges with these guys, and this was a group of police officers that were just trying to do their jobs under very difficult situations. And, uh, I wanted to, I'm glad you witnessed it and others witnessed it because I really wanted to show how far these, they wouldn't possibly do this to a, a, a Joe citizen of any kind. The magnitude that they went to try to nail police officers when there was no nail, they were creating a crime wave that didn't exist. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was wild. And remember I get recognized a lot for defending law enforcement but, you know, I've got my own firm, so I can work for whoever I want or whoever wants to retain me. And I get recognized a lot for these law enforcement cases, but that's because they're in the media. I represent civilians too, left, mm-hmm. right, and center. Mm-hmm. You know, other people that have gotten into trouble, some of them, you know, might be teachers or doctors or shoe salesmen, whoever. And so I, I deal with the general public a lot. And I get, you know, some people who say, oh, yeah, you know, you've got a great track record, you've done a great job. But that's because, the, you know, the fix is always in for the officer and they get treated lightly. And I'm shocked by that yeah. because if you give me the same scenario, one's a police officer and one's a member of the public, I can tell you right now, I'd rather take the member of the public because that's going to be an easier, much easier go. I mean, they might withdraw the case. They might say, look, you know, uh, make a charitable donation, get some anger management, who knows what. But when it's a police officer, no, it's not going to resolve. They've got two full-time investigators on it. They've got two special crowns on it. It, It's just, it's a completely different process. And that's that's on and off duty. If there's an incident that's bad when you're at home, then you're on duty. If you're a hero... It's, you're not on duty. You know, they're not going to give yeah. you a reward or time in the book, but if it's negative, then they put you on duty and they treat you the same. So vast majority of the time you are not working as a police officer, but when it's negative, you are a police officer. Yeah. And, and you know, again, I, I understand that perhaps we do have to treat cases a little bit different if somebody's on duty because we've entrusted them with a firearm and and certain powers and things like that. So I understand the need to critically examine the conduct, but you're making a good point, which is you get uh, two people, one's a citizen, regular citizen, one's a police officer 
off duty and both are charged with a domestic where they simply push their partner. Well, on a push, if we can agree, you shouldn't be pushing your partner. It's wrong. But the citizen, they're going to withdraw that charge. You know, show me that the guy took an anger management class yeah. and we're going to withdraw it. Whereas a police officer, you're probably going to trial. Then you got to deal with police act. You could deal with other issues, other, other types of investigations. And, uh, the idea of the podcast is just to show what's really going on behind the blue line. And, uh, people like you that have an insight that most people don't have vast majority of people don't see what you see. And Peter, you've done a great job over the years. Highly recommend you to anybody out there, both on and off the job, because you really take things to heart and, uh, you're one of the top lawyers out there. And I really appreciate you coming on the show. Well, thanks. I appreciate uh, you having me on the show. And um, I like talking about these topics and sort of pulling back the curtain so that people can see the other side, uh, the good side of law enforcement. You know, there's a bad side to it, but there's a lot more good, way more good than there is bad. That's for sure. Uh, And we'll end it on that. That's Peter Brody from Brody Thorning LLP. Thanks, Peter. Thank you. This is Copfather. Any information you want to get in, go to info at copfather.com. Thanks for joining us. And again, thanks, Peter. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I'm excited to be teaming up with Lexus GX and Sirius XM on some very special 99PI episodes. We're heading to some of the cities in the U.S. that have special meaning for me and exploring the ways that these cities marry form and function. To learn more about the Lexus GX and Sirius XM and Lexus vehicles, visit Lexus.com slash GX and SiriusXM.com slash Lexus trial. The all-new Lexus GX. Live up to it. Check out the 99% Invisible feed now and listen to these special episodes.